0: media group original
1: what was interesting about woodstock mary pranksters were there ken kesey's people were there and i thought okay these are the ultimate hippies do they do do they have the answer for this outsider do they have the answer to true love that i was looking for Mm. and i was in the midst of my own revolution and i did not know that jesus really was the center of that revolution
0: wow that is the voice of kathy gilbert and you are going to hear her story today, welcome to the podcast, Your Day Brighter, Real Reasons to Have Hope in This World. I'm Tracy Tiernan, and man, I, I love the story. If you saw the movie, Jesus Revolution, this really fascinating story about uh, Greg Laurie, Pastor Chuck Smith, and a movement of the Holy Spirit that was taking place in California in the late 60s, early 70s. God was stirring, drawing young people to himself. And there's a whole lot of other things going on with young people at the time. A lot of drug use, uh, a lot of chaos, a lot of searching. Hippies traveling across the country just looking for answers, living in communes. Kathy Gilbert, my guest today, She was there. She was one of those that was looking, that was searching, and she wanted to be a hippie. There was something about the whole lifestyle of finding truth that was really attractional to her, and wait till you hear how God moved and worked in her life to what has now been a lifelong uh, love affair with Jesus. Kathy Gilbert's own personal Jesus revolution. Kathy's my guest on Your Day Brighter, the podcast. Let's jump in you were there and you were one of those young people that was searching. I'm excited for people to hear your story. I know you've been walking faithfully with the Lord Jesus for many decades now, but can you take us back to that young girl that you were in the late sixties and and tell us about your life then?
1: Well, I am thrilled to be able to do that with you, Tracy, because I have Maryland roots and it started in Maryland and it started in Howard County you know right next to Baltimore and it started at Gleno High School and it was uh, this 1967 and I felt like an outsider and I didn't know where I fit in until I saw look magazine and they did a feature on these gypsy like what they called hippies and I read the article I read about uh, Ken Kesey and the Mary pranksters they recommended this book by Thomas Wolfe called Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, I immediately ran out, got the book, and I thought, okay, I may be an outsider, but I think I found my people. (laughs) And so I jumped in and just became a hippie, much to my parents' dismay, because we lived in Highland, Maryland, outside of Columbia. And I went to Glenelg High School, as I said, and then I became really an outsider, and my, I was wasn't I didn't want to even graduate. I just wanted to drop out and plug in and just become a full blown hippie. My dad talked me into staying, so I graduated in 1969. Talked my precious mother. Here I am, the oldest of six children, and you know my brother Tom. He's the youngest, and what a how hard it must have been for my parents, taking me to a commune in Fairfax, Virginia. And I just moved into this commune. We did a drug run to San Francisco. So I discovered the whole San Francisco scene and Haight-Ashbury and the mm. Golden Gate Park. And I loved it. Stayed for a few months, returned and went to this big concert. They said, oh, just hitchhike up to North, uh, up, uh, to New York. You can go to this concert So I was living in Philadelphia at at the time, and got a ride from Philadelphia to upstate New York, and went to this concert called Woodstock. And the people who gave me a ride said, "Oh, you can camp with us." And so I stayed there a week. And okay, and I thought, okay, what was interesting about Woodstock? Merry pranksters were there. Ken Kesey's people were there. And I thought, okay, these are the ultimate hippies. Do they do? Do they have the answer for this outsider? Do they have the answer to true love that I was looking for? Mm. And I was in the midst of my own revolution, and I did not know that Jesus really was the center of that revolution. Mm. And so I went on a quest because the people at Woodstock, the hippies at Woodstock didn't have it. So I returned to the West Coast thinking, okay, the West Coast hippies have it, especially San Francisco. Nobody in L.A. So in San Francisco, I went from commune to commune and living in one commune in Fillmore District, and ran into this group of really creepy people. And they said, Oh, yeah, they're from this family out in the desert called the Manson family. And I thought, Okay, oh. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with the communes. I'm done with, the, you know, hippies don't have the answer. So I decided <sighs> I'm going to um, hitchhike down to Big Sur, hike back at, at Nasi Creek, and just live there until I got the answers. And I did not get the answers. I my parents from Highland, Maryland sent me general delivery, Big Sur, May seventeenth, nineteen no, nineteen seventy, a backpack. And so with that backpack, I put all my earthly belongings, which wasn't much, including a book of each called I Ching, a bag mm. of roasted soybeans, a uh, my sleeping bag, and started hitchhiking north because I wasn't going to go to Los Angeles because I thought those Los Angeles sippies are just Hollywood hippies. They're not the
0: real thing. Man, you were so sincerely searching for something. What was it about the hippies that attracted you? And when you didn't find it with a certain group, how did you know, oh, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it?
1: Well, what they promised is, of course, is the peace and love and joy. And it was true love I was looking for. And they did not have true love and they did not have joy and they did not have peace. Even though the whole peace sign was so big and you know the promise of drugs, no, that wasn't in the drugs. It wasn't in the um, having the, the sleeping around. It wasn't there. There was no true love there. Uh, mm-hmm. Was there true love in the Eastern mysticism? Did I find the meaning of life and who am I and why am I here? I did not find it there. And mm-hmm. so that's what the hippies promised Oh, and also they promised if you eat these certain foods, you will be clean and whole. And boy, I ate those certain microbiotic foods and I was not clean and I was not whole. And so I thought, okay, I am done. It can't be, I just, I'm done. And so I just started hitchhiking from Big Sur North. And as I was hitchhiking through Oregon, I had a man, one of the people who gave me a ride, drew a gun on me. And I don't know how it happened, but I walked away. And I just kept hitchhiking. I was one place I was going to camp. Uh, instead of at that place where the guy who drew a gun on me, I thought I, would, I would, could stay there. Well, no, I couldn't stay there. So I just kept going. And one place I was going to stay, it was uh, uh, along a creek, but it just happened to be absolutely infested with mosquitoes during the day. And I thought, nope, I can't go there. So I had to keep going until... And you're like, alone, right? You're I'm alone. alone. I was, was no big deal to me. I just thought, this, you know, it's kind of what people did. And I tried to be careful, you know, to not take rides that seemed a little sketchy. Uh, But I did not know I was being protected. Not only was I being protected, I was being driven. I was being led. I was being forced to keep going until This old man, he was a logger. He picks me up in the middle of Oregon. I'm on Highway 58 going through the Willamette Valley of Oregon. Oregon Willamette Valley is the most gorgeous thing on earth. And it's June of 1970. He drops me off at Rattlesnake Road because I didn't want to go into Eugene and start my panhandling, which I was pretty good at it. I played this uh, recorder, which I don't know how to play because I have no musical talent whatsoever. (laughs) But as a hippie, you can do that because you're communing with nature and you're just, you know, expressing yourself. And so it didn't matter that it sounded awful. And so I'm walking up Rattlestake Creek. Nobody would give this hippie girl a ride until this car stopped. And this car stopped and it was a Buick and they looked like two hippies. And they, it was the getting late. And I thought, I see a creek, I see a mountain in the distance. And I, when there's mountain, there's creeks and there's creeks, I'll have a place to camp. But it was getting late, and they invited me to their ranch and basically saying, yeah, I guess it's a commune. And I thought, oh, great, another commune. And, but I, I decided, well, what can, what can it hurt? I went with them. And in the Jesus Revolution movie, they talk about a Christian commune there where they laid hands on the car and prayed for it to start. Yeah. Well, that house in that movie was called the House of Miracles. And there were many House of Miracles in Southern California that were open because of the Jesus people. And a whole bunch of those houses moved up from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, up to the middle of this beautiful 80-acre ranch in in Dexter, Oregon. And what would you know, but Rattlesnake, Rattlesnake Road was the way into this ranch and they they were no longer called the house of miracles they were called shiloh and there were 200 calvary chapel costa mesa baby christians there waiting for me oh oh my gosh
0: god was leading you all along all along all All along. along kathy so he he literally led you to shiloh when i think about all the other forces that were trying to grab you off of that row that you were on. I mean, even an interaction with the Manson family, all yes. of this stuff is yes. going on. Yes, So many people, why was that time in history unique? What was it a, a, about God's spirit that was stirring in the hearts of young people to seek and to ask questions? Because it, it was very prevalent, wasn't it, among your peers that people wanted some answers to some things what was the was the question what was the question
1: well the question was wait a minute i am not content with the way the status quo Mm -hmm. i am not content with being told oh just go to college get a job get married settle down it said no life can't be all about that what is life about it it it, it, we were very spiritual there was if the quest was very spiritual but i look back now and i see it was a sovereign supernatural work of god because you would say well there was you know all the factors you know vietnam you know th- there was a uh, a culmination of intensity in our country but that wasn't it i mean i'm sure that was part of it but i believe that god in his mercy mm-hmm. just poured out his spirit on young people to just say okay I am not going to quit until I find the answers, and I am going to keep looking, and not everybody sensed that, but it was a supernatural move that cannot be explained by, oh, this, I mean, I know there were a lot of churches praying. Actually, I remember one of the times I was walking when I was finally on my quest to leave Big Sur, I ran across this, like, um, Baptist group. This is this family, a mother and a father and probably an aunt, and they were like old school, you know, white shirts, uh, sundresses, big hats, uh, and they were at along a creek, same creek, Nacimiento Creek, but dipping their toes in. And it was on. It must have been a Sunday because they looked like they're at Sunday best. They told me that they were Christians. They did not give me the gospel, mm-hmm. but I believe they were praying for me. And that is an example of many that were praying for these hippie young people. And but I just believe again. God moved on as people like in the Jesus revolution and yeah. about, well and Kay Smith was not quite represented that way because she took her husband down to Huntington beach pier and said, we have to pray for these lost young people oh. and forced her husband. He was of the uh, opinion that, well, you just clean up, cut your hair and get a job. And she said, no, we have to pray. And so she got him to pray. She got her fellow church ladies to pray. And so I know prayer was part of it, but it was supernatural. I mean, wow. it was a work of God.
0: Wow. It's so beautiful. It's 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 beautiful. And so, Kathy, you you find yourself at Shiloh. Yeah. And it's not just another commune. No. Oh. Something else that's going on there. Tell me about your time at Shiloh and and about what let you know like there's there's something different here. This is this is where I want to hang out for a bit.
1: Well, okay, so I I, I come in. And I'm this hippie girl, and I'm just into Eastern mysticism. I hated the drugs. I hated the promiscuity. But I thought the answer, there's got to be an answer, and it can't be, who all 200 of them, every time I walked, whether it was the, the, the organic garden, you know, huge organic garden, whether it was a goat, goat barns, whether it was um, looking at um, Lost Creek, or whether it was going into the dining hall, wherever I went, they told me, I've we found it. We found it and it's, a, it's him, it's Jesus. And they started sharing scriptures with me. They were so joyful, but they were real. I mean, there was no doubt in my mind that they were real. They were the real thing. But mm-hmm. I thought, I grew up a Catholic and I knew about Jesus and I did not find the life I was looking for I did not find the true love I was looking for in my church. I did not find it really in my family. Mm -hmm. But I thought, you can't tell me it's Jesus. (laughs) But they said, oh, yes, it is. And I spent the night in the girls' dorm, which was just a, a log cabin with an outhouse in the back. And there was a gal there by the name of Debbie. She was very pregnant. And she was pregnant, ready to give birth, her husband was in jail because he had resisted the draft and God told him to turn himself in, and this woman was so full of joy and no fear. She had no fear, she had perfect peace. She had true love, she had perfect peace, and she had she was filled with joy. And what did she have that I didn't have? Wow. But I couldn't I couldn't handle it because she said it was Jesus and I couldn't handle it, so I hitchhiked, left there, hitchhiked to the Oregon coast, and that night I came to terms with the fact that I didn't have the answers. And obviously, what these people had was something that I had to really reconsider. So in the dark, I hollowed out a bed for my backpack out of the sand dunes. And so surrounded by the seagrasses and driftwood and screaming seagulls, And they quieted down, and it got dark, and the stars came out, and I finally started to talk to God.
0: Mm. And
1: I just said, okay, I'm done running. I don't have any answers, but they tell me at that place called Shiloh that it's you, that's you, Lord Jesus, that if it's you and you want me, this hippie girl that has nothing, I have nothing to offer you, I am a nobody, but if you want me, I... I want to give myself to you. i want to give myself to something. And I think that's one of the, what young people want to do. They want to live for something. They want to die for something. Mm-hmm. And I thought, do you mean it's you? And he, and he responded by just overwhelming me with his love, filling me to overflowing with such true love, mm-hmm. true joy, true peace. And what was amazing as he filled me up, then I was able to pour out all that uncleanness, mm-hmm. all that, grief, all that brokenness. I didn't know it was called sin. I had no idea. But as he poured in his love, out poured all this stuff. And I just wept for such joy and rejoicing because I truly was clean and whole for the first time in my life.
0: Oh. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I'm just picturing you. And you were how old at this time, Kathy? I was 19.
1: I t- turned 19. It was that same summer that I got my backpack. So I had just turned 19,
0: 19 years old out there on the beach, looking yeah. up at the stars on a, on a dark night with yeah. the sound of the, the waves and just talking to God. Yeah. Um, I wonder how many people have a story of where God had to pull you away. You know, you had people investing, speaking the gospel into you, mm-hmm. um, but they, he had to pull you away. Uh-huh. To get along with him. I and I was going to Young Life. Um, my family didn't really go to church, but I had a friend invited me to Young Life when I was in like junior high school, and I started going. And they shared the gospel, and it was beautiful. And then they invited me to go on a Young Life retreat, and it was it was fun, and it just everything in me just knew like this is this is true, uh-huh. is true. But then they gave us space, and I did what you did, Kathy. I went out on the beach by myself, I was maybe 14 years old and I just remember being out there sitting on a dune, um, looking up at the sky and the stars. (laughs) So as you're describing that to me, it just, it touches me deeply because I remember the tenderness of that moment and how willing God is to meet with us one-on-one he's, he's personal and one-on-one and (laughs) right there in that spot, this whole journey that you had been on this search, you know, he had been guiding it all along. For that moment, for you to be able to just connect with him, just Kathy and the Lord. (laughs) Right, right. How did you enter back into your life at that point? Did you make some decisions? I did
1: make a big, well, my first decision was to take the Bible that was given to me on one of those hitchhiking um, rides that I'd gotten. After I left Shiloh, I got somebody that gave me a Bible. So I had this Bible and... I thought, okay, I'm. I know that those people in Shiloh are the real thing. Mm-hmm. I did not trust myself, so I found a creek, hiked back, was camping, reading this Bible, which is God's book. They told me, you know, reads God's book, and so I'm reading it. And I was miserable because God had told me, Jesus had told me, return to Shiloh. Mm-hmm. So that next morning, I got started getting, I, you know, started hitchhiking. And one of the rides when I was hitchhiking was uh, a fellow that, that the devil sent. He said he was a pastor. He said that it was all nonsense. He tried to seduce me. And hmm. here I am, a one-day-old Christian, and I knew exactly what was going on. And yes. I rebuked him. Yes. I didn't rebuke him in the way a, Christian, a good Christian would rebuke him. Uh, but I rebuked him, and I said, stop this car and let me out. And he did. And God got me to the door of Shiloh, with ride after another. And when I walked down that gravel road and those hippies, those ex hippies, those uh, Jesus freaks saw me, they just rejoiced and ran and grabbed a hold of me and said, We were praying for you. Oh Welcome God. to the family of God. And so I was welcomed into Shiloh.
0: <laughs> they were praying for you. You came back. And they were, oh my God, that's so beautiful. It's like our prodigal has come back home. <laughs> How long did you stay at
1: Shiloh at that point? Okay, so one of those people, one of those two hundred people, was a fellow named Stephen Gilbert, and Stephen Gilbert was one of those that was praying for me, and he told me later that when I came through on that first day as this hippie girl, he said I was so scary and intimidating, and that nobody, you know, they were he was scared of me. he didn't, he he lost his fear of me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he, he lost his fear of you, and so you married him.
1: <laughs> yes, I married him. He asked me to marry him two years later. Well, no, uh, about a year and a half later, he asked me to marry him, and we had been in Christian houses together, or nearby, because one thing that Shiloh did was, uh, it was a training center. I mean, remember all those houses that went up? Yeah. Land? The land became a training center to send out um, Jesus people teams all throughout the United States to open up Christian houses. and Christian houses were basically a house church. but you live there. and the team usually consisted because there was always more guys and girls. The team usually consisted of about six to eight guys and two girls. And <clears throat> I was trained uh, to and shortly went to Burns, Oregon to open up a Christian house or a Christian commune. And then from there, I went to Boise, Idaho to be a part of the Christian house there. Then I came back to the land and was trained with an, a formal team. And then we went up to Portland, Oregon. And part of, part of our training was to go out on jobs. And we would get big um, agricultural jobs where they would hire the whole team to make money to open up a house. And we opened up a house in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so that was my next stop after Portland, Oregon.
0: Christian houses, what, a, what an interesting idea.
1: Uh, is there anything
0: like that now?
1: Well, uh, the, the purpose of Christian Houses back in the 60s and 70s, early 70s, was because of the whole hippie movement. It was a movement. People were on the move. People had left home. People had no place to live. Mm-hmm. People needed discipleship, immediate discipleship. They, And it was just kind of a phenomena of the Jesus people uh, times, mm-hmm. uh, the Jesus revolution, where Christian houses were such an answer to that, uh, where they would have a place to to live, to be discipled, to be trained and then be sent out. And and, and the one thing about Shiloh, it didn't quite change with the times. Uh, Another Christian group that did adapt with the times was YWAM. And YWAM would have, you know, had a really healthy, um, be able to transition from this, this society and the way the life moved, but there weren't a lot of people, hippies and young people hitchhiking. You don't see them now, uh, and mm-hmm. so it's going to look different. And right. and you know, my prayer for our young people now is that God is not—he is the same yesterday and today and forever. And I look at our young people and how lost yeah. they are yeah. and how needy they are. And I look at the grace and the kindness of God, and I look at how he sees and knows and loves them so much more than we do, Mm -hmm. and that he is going to do something exceedingly abundantly above all he did for me in the 60s and the 70s. And it's certainly going to look different. Mm -hmm. And hippies are certainly going to look different. The outsiders are certainly going to look different.
0: We still have the outsiders, though, don't we?
1: Oh, we absolutely do. And they they make us uncomfortable and we don't know how to respond. Are we going to respond in love? Mm. Are we going to uh, seek the way of Jesus and are um, loving them and ministering to them and being there for them and mm. being the, the good news to them?
0: Mm. Kathy, um, you're, the love, when you speak, the, the love of Jesus is just so evident in you it just pours out of you who discipled you in your new relationship with christ i know the time at shiloh i'm sure was very pivotal and eventually you ended up at chuck smith's church oh yeah in costa mesa can you tell us about that
1: okay and the one thing one of the distinctions about shiloh and this was an extension of what the distinctions of calvary chapel costa mesa was the word of god And we saturated ourselves in the word of God. Mm. We read the whole Bible through constantly. We had constant Bible studies and that, that was what Shiloh was about. And then when my husband and I married in 72, uh, he ran the print shop for Shiloh. I ran the kitchen for Shiloh. And we're talking about feeding 200 people. I ran the kitchen and trained the teen girls that would go out to open up Christian houses to how to run their own kitchens. Um, but when we moved uh, from Dexter, Oregon, back to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, my husband's family were original members. His grandfather was one of the first 25 that invited Pastor Chuck to come and be the pastor of this church. Uh, My husband's mother, Jean, was her last name was Smith, and so when... Pastor Chuck and his brother, Paul, went to Life Bible College. Amy Symbol McPherson, I'm sure you've heard about her, Mm -hmm. because that's his roots. Um, My mother-in-law was part of that. So she was on Kay Smith's board, and uh, they were a part of helping to build—my mother and father-in-law were a part of helping to build the church, and every transition the church went through. So us coming in, we were basically adopted into the Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa family (laughs) as— family members, extended family members. Um, wow. And uh, so my husband did. Pastor Chuck Smith invited him to take over the print shop for Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And I sur- I soon, maybe a couple years later, I went on the switchboard and went from that to duplicating Pastor Chuck Smith's tapes and sending them all over the world. And so wow. it's been uh, about it's officially 47 years i've been on staff at calvary chapel because 47 years yeah. <laughs> yeah. i know it sounds like a lot oh it's shockingly a lot but uh i've seen a lot of transition and i am more actually i'm more excited now about what god is doing even though it's like not this massive movement I'm excited what God is doing at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, but not just Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. I see him moving among all the churches to unite us. And Mm -hmm. it's been gruesome in our division. But I believe that even in the gruesomeness of our division, that's God desiring to purge and purify his people, Mm -hmm. to unite us, to bring us into one and to so that we as a church, you know, will be the ones shining light to this young generation Mm. and being a light to our lost world. You're excited. I can see that you're excited. You're more excited now. I'm more excited now. Maybe because I know more Mm. and experience wise. I mean, I've been around a long time. It helps Mm. to get old. um, And there's wisdom there. And me personally, I'm going through a revolution, a revival because here I am. I always knew I had the gift of helps. It was just so easy for me, much like my brother, Tom, as you know him. Yes. I want to help. What can I do to help? Uh, I just want to come alongside you. I just want to be there for you. And the Lord has led me to become a chaplain. I'm a chaplain at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, but I'm a community chaplain. I consider myself a mop, a ministry of presence. And I just want to be there for people in times of crisis or in any time, but especially in times of need where I can say, Jesus loves you. Not only does he love you, he sees you and he knows you and he loves you. He's for you. He's coming after you and he will never give up on you. And mm-hmm. that is, I'm so grateful that I'm going to be officially, um, and I'm already doing it. I've been doing it for, since COVID. COVID to me was my revolution.
0: Is that of, right? Of ministry, yeah. So during COVID, God was calling you to a, another another level, another dimension of what he had put inside of you and how you were going to minister to the body. So did it start like virtually during COVID that you would go up and comfort people?
1: Well, it started, first of all, even before that, I started doing chaplain training. Uh And so, and that's emergency response. And I did it both uh, as a chaplain. I did it with the, the fire department. CERT is a community emergency response team. So I learned, you know, stop the bleed and getting people breathing. I uh, became I enlisted with our local Newport Beach Police Department, Citizens Police Academy. And again, first, you know, kind of knowing first responders what what to do to help people in time of need. And so I've continued that when even when our church went through COVID, it started opening the doors for me to even volunteer more at my church, like volunteer, Mm -hmm. just to be there for people. And, you know, so many were in crisis. Uh, because, I mean, our world, it was just such a traumatic time. We had no idea what was going to happen. And so uh, I was able to start um, helping with the homeless. And so I started, uh, I had a heart for the homeless. I always wanted to know how I could minister to these kind of scary people Mm -hmm. on the streets. And so I just started helping and they're not scary to me anymore. Um, So and so our church, is, our church is even developing how to respond in our community to be a response, to be what so many churches have done, but some churches are really reluctant to do. But our, And I know our church wants to do it. Our church wants to be more involved with a community of churches and being a response to uh, our times of need and to be a light shining in the darkness.
0: Mm, that's so beautiful, Kathy, a, a mop, a ministry of presence um, <laughs> to be there and to show up for people. And when we show up for people in, in love, when they see our love, then we can share where that love comes from. Exactly. What makes you different from how the rest of the world is treating me? Yes. You know, wh- why are you, why do you care about me? Well, because Jesus cares about you. Exactly. And yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, and I love this season of life that you're in your own personal revolution of God, even doing a new thing in you. When you look back on just the whole trajectory of your life and how the Lord pursued you and drew you to himself, what would you say was the the biggest obstacle to you in in coming to faith in Christ and surrendering your life to Christ? And how do you see the obstacles today that are in people's way of receiving the gospel?
1: Well, I think it would be just the scripture that says, um, do not lean, you know, uh, trust in the Lord. Yeah. Trust and obey. I mean, that that's, I, and and doubt and all that comes with fear and pride. I mean, I think that that, you know, kind of trying to figure it out myself and trying to, I would say, um, you know, it says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, because that is so easy for me."
0: Mm-hmm. In
1: all your ways, acknowledge the Lord, and He will direct your path. And to mm-hmm. continually, daily, even moment by moment, just continually go there. What I do, I guess, it's just I don't want to save my. I guess the greatest obstacle for me is saving my life. Mm-hmm. I want my comfort. I I want. I love control. Yeah. I love predictability. I love to plan and prepare and not forget and, or miss or lose anything. And it comes down to, behold, here I am, the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to your word. And I have to keep coming back to this where mm-hmm. I just surrender. And I just mm-hmm. said, okay, I just give it. I give it back to you. I give it to you. And I think maybe that's the hardest thing for all of us is we think we got it figured out. And we go everywhere but to Jesus.
0: Boy, we go everywhere but to Jesus. So many um, fake messiahs out there. Mm -hmm. So many um, alternatives that are not going to get. And in some ways, that even reminds me of what it was like for you with all these different hippie groups and, you know, people that um, promised that they had answers, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. So I guess there's really nothing new under the sun, right? <laughs>
1: nothing new from the beginning of time till now. And uh, and the challenges that we're facing now are not new, but Jesus is still the answer.
0: Mm.
1: And that's, that is surprising. Isn't it surprising yeah. that it would still be Jesus is still the answer. He is still the foundation. And daily I pray, Lord, you're the savior. You're the sanctifier. You're the safety to take us home.
0: Amen. Kathy, thank you so much. Um, I am so filled up just having this time with you. I'm so encouraged and refreshed. Being in your presence is refreshing. So I just love that this is even something that you're you're doing in your life right now that God has called you to. Because I'm, I'm sure that He's using you tremendously. And I I just pray I pray for you. You know, as you travel back to California, may God just continually fill you as you pour out to others may you always have a hunger for his word and may his love just continue to to radiate through you because uh you are so special and i'm yeah i'm just so grateful that he saved you and tracy
1: i'm those very same things to you i am so grateful for you I'm so grateful that you are a bright light shining in the darkness, and God is using you in these last days. Thank you, Kathy. And thank you, Tracy. What a blessing.
0: Oh, my goodness. I love her story. God is relentless in his pursuit of us, isn't he? Hey, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Kathy Gilbert, her own personal Jesus revolution. I am so grateful that you're listening to the podcast, Your Day Brighter. If you're enjoying the podcast, you gotta share it with people, right? Share the good stuff. Make sure you leave a review also if you're able because that helps other people to find it. Your Day Brighter is produced by me, Tracy Tiernan for Brighter Media Group. Our executive producer is John Lawhon. Special thanks to our team, Todd Gaddy, Caroline Burke, Aaron Branham, and Jared Akhurst, you guys are the best. And thank you to you, our wonderful community of listeners. Remember what we like to say around here. Tell somebody your story today. Or better yet, ask to hear theirs.